0: I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. welcome you to The Writer's Story. Yes. And it feels like we were together pretty recently, um,
1: I guess end of April is when we talked last about writing during a pandemic and, and all, the, all the joys um, <laughs> of, <laughs> of, and struggles, um, and, um, but it's great to catch up with you again and, and see how everything is going. Um, we're, yeah. both, we're both Good. revising. I mean, that's what we're doing right. these days, that's right?
0: That's right. In the thick of revision still, the um, weather has been amazing here in Central Virginia for doing outdoor stuff. The spring has been really mild. And so during this pandemic, as you observe, the time, my sense of time is a little off. It sounds like I'm not alone in that. And um, I will spend so much time outside working in the yard and garden, weather is conducive to that, but um, revising on this um, historical fiction has been a counterpoint to the outside time. And it's, it's coming along. I mentioned that I had been introducing or trying to introduce this love storyline a little bit or enrich that a little bit more. And I'm happy to say some of that has really come together, but I also was amping up a secondary <laughs> love storyline and now I may have too much love story going on, but, um, it's turning into a romance <laughs> into a romance. Really. I had to channel my inner bodice ripper and, um, and that was fun, but I, um, um, I'm starting right- to
1: imagine the cover now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's not hard to imagine a, a good bodice ripper cover. Um, I don't know how fitting it would be for the book but i am needing to i find that i need to step back and map out the um some of the details of the plot again because i have i've shifted a few things around and i am concerned that i am messing with the pacing of the Mm -hmm. book yeah yeah so i think i need to step back and map out exactly what happens when to see how those events um, how what the energy of those events is for the next subsequent events and so on and so forth.
1: I call that the helicopter, the helicopter edit. <laughs> get yeah, up right. get up high enough where you can see more of the landscape.
0: That's right. Get my binoculars out, my khaki. Yeah.
1: yeah, as a as opposed to your um higher level edit, I am in the sort of down and dirty trying to make um, my transitions work, make sure my pacing is working. And I'm just doing some things that I tend to skate over in my first draft. I just I just try to get it down and I go, oh, there was a church shooting, some people died. And then I never make a decision about how many, for instance. And that's just something where I've now said, okay, 11 people. And then I have to go make sure you never said 12, you never said 5. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: 11. It's 11. So that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know... It's good, it's, it's moving along, it's just a slow process, um, but it's been useful having, as I said, the writing group read it. Um, I did have an interesting experience last week where I did, um, I moderated a panel for the Festival of the Book, and, um, and a friend got in touch afterwards and said, um, do you wanna do noir at the bar in May? And I had a moment of total panic and I thought, you know what? I need to get pushed out of my comfort zone. So I said, yes, very, very recklessly. And so by May 22nd, I have to figure out, am I reading something that I'm writing right now? It's it's noir, so I'm not technically writing noir right now. Um, am I reading something new? Am I, am I writing a story for it? Last time I tried my hand at a little um, flash fiction so I took a story and I condensed and condensed and condensed till I could read it in, five, you know, five minutes. And yeah. that's not technically flash, but you know what I mean. I made it very, very short, and it was incredibly dark and scary, and it was really out of what I normally did, but it was a great experience. So I'm trying to think about how to make that into something more of a experience and a learning learning process than just saying, here's three pages from a mystery that I wrote. Five years ago,
0: yeah. So what is bar? What Noir, what bar?
1: noir at the bar. It's um, N O I R at the bar. So it's okay. normally an in-person thing. So uh, you go to a bar and they have a, a, a writers and they take turns and each one gets up and reads. Fun. Limited time, but yeah.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, and they do it across two, the country. Two
0: weeks away. You'll do it on Zoom
1: yes and now so now i understand that people can see us and so now i'm less excited <laughs> <laughs> well you look fabulous fair thank you hopefully by then i'll have washed my hair i know i will
0: not have a haircut but you know <laughs> throw on the feather boa feather and, boa
1: and no, just right. gla- dark glasses and a hat and then try to read <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh so anyway you know things things You know it's 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 tough it's tough times but um i'm super excited that we got together today and that we are going to talk uh with lulu miller
0: yes yes i got a chance to read um lulu's new book why fish don't exist and i was just floored by how beautiful the writing is how powerful the storyline that pulled me through to the end um and i savored every bit and it has stayed with me um there's some really big ideas big questions and so what a treat to be able to talk with her um I'm yeah glad that yeah she'll be joining us
1: yeah so um lulu miller's new book is why fish don't exist a story of loss love and the hidden order of life and it is a fresh fresh new book um, But uh, she used to live in town, and we were um, um, Charlottesville women writers. She was part of it. And so we actually got to hear her read from it um, two years ago.
0: I think it was about that, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I just remember thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be a great book. I just it was such an intriguing uh, reading. And just hearing how she had become fascinated um, you know with the character and just you know all this sort of stuff. Um, she has she worked for Radio Lab um, for quite a long time and then founded the show Invisibilia. So worked a lot on radio, and so I mean, we're gonna definitely talk to her about how, you know radio uh, influenced her writing and vice versa. Um, all right, well, let's go bring her in. Hi, Lulu. Hello. So excited to have you join us. Yes.
2: I was there in person, but someday. Yeah,
1: yeah. we're so sad that you're in Chicago, but now it feels like everybody's in Chicago or someplace else very, (laughs) very very far away. (laughs) Like Kristen, and I normally do this side by side, like leaning into the microphone, so I sort of feel, I miss your, I miss you being here, Kristen,
0: but... Um, I miss you too, it's nice to be able to see one another, although I know this will all be audio, but um, at least we can see one another's faces in that moment of this recording, so that's...
2: Yeah, that's- for the audio listener, Kristen has gorgeous, lush, green, her widow, and I have barren, scraggly, <laughs> still green, <glue with> <laughs>
0: yeah we have got some pretty beautiful stuff uh sprouting around in the garden and the yard and it has been calling me much to um the dismay of my writing projects but oh well um but oh i'm so excited to talk with you lulu about your writing and this new book why fish don't exist i just finished it actually this morning and oh man i love it um so but maybe before we get into that if you would tell us just a little bit about how the writing is so gorgeous um and of course you have this background in telling stories audio audioly <laughs> um through radio but can you tell us a little bit about how you came to writing yeah
2: i mean i think in a real way it was my first love like as a little kid i just always Um, I love making up stories and I remember just spending afternoons like spread out on my parents bed with the big white computer paper with the perforated edges kind of accordion style and just starting something usually it was about an animal that could talk Um, and and you know starting a story and just seeing where it went and in retrospect I've like come to think of it a lot as the feeling of sledding I think because that paper was attached in these long slopes and like you just you'd think of something and one of the first stories I ever wrote was about a bat because we caught a bat in our house and I wondered where it flew away and the very first story I wrote was just about like this bat and I gave him a name and I imagined where he went and it just felt like the act of writing was this ride where a I had so much power, so I could make up everything. But I think the experience was actually more about the adventure of it, and just being like, okay, it's going to go to the marsh, and it's going to find a shipwreck, and it's going to jump on the wheel, and it's going to get the shipwreck out of the mud, and it's going to drive a boat, and you know, like just pure freedom and fun and and travel. Like, and so I think ever ever since those early feelings of enjoying making up stories, I just always dreamed absolutely sure what I wanted to be when I grew up was a novelist. I just wanted to have my day be, you know, put on warm, cozy pajamas, get a cup of coffee, and then imagine, you know, interact with reality for a little bit, and then imagine for the whole day. And that's what I thought I wanted. And that was always like my private wish and dream. And then I, you know, I kind of like went through life. I I studied, I ended up studying history in college and kind of discovered I loved archive diving, like, did not see that coming. But but loved the adventure in that, and, ran, and finding things that no one had really seen, and like finding gems that were lost to time. I really liked studying things that there was very little expertise in. Like, I would never write about a president or something. I like that unchartered territory. And then, yeah, and then I found my way into into radio, which I just adored, but there was always kind of this, I think this other part of me that was curious about writing and this more sol- slightly more solitary act. Um, and, and about fiction. And I eventually, after five years of, of public radio at Radio Lab, I this is how I got to Charlottesville, it's how I met both of you, but I went to the UVA's program in fiction writing and t- kind of took a two-year break on reality <laughs> to do fiction writing. Um, and at the end of that time, I think what I realized is A, whoa, fiction writing is hard and I am not skilled <laughs> enough. And B, I missed the constraint of reality and the wildness of reality. And so then that, you know kind of actually eventually led me into what became the book project was a was a research project and then yeah but it's it's just always been a it's always been a place in my heart like it it almost feels like safe or i don't know if you guys have that feeling but
1: i, I love been... how you um i love you describing the tactile nature of your writing that's really awesome i think um i don't know like i just remember filling up you know those uh, yellow pads And like associating that totally (laughs) it's it's so funny um and also um typing my mother had like the old typewriter and like that act of typing felt like this is writing and so then when I transferred to a computer it started to feel sort of like this is this even real like I I don't know I think you get such a strong association but I love the image that computer paper (laughs)
2: and still when I get stuck or well, when I get frustrated, I try to always go back to handwriting and getting away from the computer and sitting under a tree or like lying on a bed just to to make it feel fun and to make it feel like adventure. And um, and it
1: sounds like get back to where you were as a kid because probably yeah. you wrote everywhere, right? You, right. You didn't have an office, <laughs>
2: right? An office. Like I feel like I have an office purely for the reason of having a place to escape. Like I almost never do my good work in an office like it's elsewhere it's on the couch it's on the floor I love sitting on the floor I don't know so yeah that's a part of it for sure I'm a bed
1: writer I love writing in bed yes I mean if I had servants maybe I'd be like (laughs) over cartland and I would write in the bath
2: (laughs) oh my gosh I wrote in the bath I did write in the bath uh, a couple weeks ago for the first time and that essay got
1: rejected but it was a fun experience (laughs) That's so awesome. Well, I think she dictated from the bath, mm. actually. I think that was her, her thing. But yeah, I always imagined that. I was like, wow.
0: <laughs> I'm such a messy bather. I think it would all end up being soaked and streaky. You'd like make up new words as the water droplets <laughs> And God forbid I bring my computer in there. I mean, whoo. Yeah. Yeah, writing writing in the bath, it does sound lovely, but the mechanics of it for me, I think they're just too tricky. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I am also a floor sitter. I actually often eat sitting on the floor. Yeah. And um, I read in bed and I write at a desk.
2: For do the most you... part,
0: I do write at a desk.
2: Yeah. We're really getting off here, but do you do you ever dabble in eating salad with your hands.
0: Ooh, um, I think it depends on the salad. I do mix my greens with my hands, especially delicate greens. I try to be careful to wash them beforehand, but yes. um, just for any of your sakes coming over for dinner. <laughs> but I, um, but yeah, I toss them with my hands. But do you eat like the like delicate? Greens? I've I've recently leaned into it. I heard
2: Alice Waters does it that way, so that made it feel like <laughs> yeah. Bornay. But there, and actually, then I read an essay, a short essay about it that was in the Atlantic. I was googling, like, is this a thing? And um, and they say that like without the metal, the metal can really interfere with the vinaigrette, and that there is a more essential. Just as a floor sitter, you might just try giving it and the salt and like the the delicacy. Anyway, I am I'm, I'm converting in in isolation. I am converting to be a finger salad eater. <laughs> I'm there,
0: and then I don't have to wash my hands after I've tossed it. Before you just it go goes. right into it. I mean. Yeah all right well
1: if alice waters does it it, it's sorry did
0: you guys want to talk
2: about writing okay i will i will actually
1: (laughs) (laughs) no no we want to talk about salad um (laughs) we were uh lucky enough to get to hear you read from this book when it was like a little baby book you know like a little you know I don't know a a minnow (laughs) and um and it was a really wonderful experience and you talked a lot about how you became fascinated with this person and sort of that journey and so I'd love to hear a little bit more you know and because I know you've been even sitting with this even longer um tell us about coming to this book
2: yeah so I never thought it would be a book I thought it would be an essay. Um, I heard this little detail when I was in my early 20s about a man whose entire, most of his fish collection came down in an earthquake. And instead of just kind of giving up and giving in and being depressed as I might be, he started this technique of taking a sewing needle, stuffing it into the fish and sewing the name tag of the creature to the fish itself. Um, And there was something to me, so defiant about that act like chaos came and destroyed his collection the names were separated from the fish the jars were shattered to me that's like a clear message that chaos reigns that that in the quest for order this man was a taxonomist someone trying to solve the order of the natural world and to me that felt like such a hint or such a good example of the predicament we're all in that chaos rules our lives and like Everything we try to do will eventually be ruined. Everything we love will eventually be destroyed. Um, But here's this man fighting it and fighting it so nakedly. And I remember it was actually a very visual experience. I heard about this detail, and I pictured a little man pointing a sewing needle toward like a tornado of chaos, just like, I will get you. And I wondered, very simply, who was this guy and what became of him? Like, Did he end up a fool? Was he humiliated? Was he successful? Did chaos get him in other like a one page essay with a drawing of man versus chaos. And then I thought that would be it. It would have been on a desire not to back down. And um and then it just spiraled because he w- he was a prolific writer. There was so much to research and his story is bonkers. Like it it just went to places I never saw both personally and then it and then he kind of ushered me into this huge history I didn't know about America that is still like incredibly alive that has to do with eugenics and so it just it took me to wild places from a story point of view from an emotional point of view and from a historical point of view and I I thought oh my gosh this is like a tiny parable this is a fairy tale that happens to be true and I wanted to write I want to like work it into like a novella length And it spiraled a little beyond that, but it's pretty short.
0: Could bring all those pieces together in this book. You brought that narrative, the story, um, and I I feel like it reads almost like a mystery. I mean, good, good. You and you bring the personal in, which motivates. And I and I gotta say, I mean, it's certainly connected with me. You know, how does a person? find hope or optimism in the face of great catastrophe and suffering. And um, this man and his, like you said, this resilience, this ability to bounce back after losing, it was like decades of work, right? Hundreds of of specimens collected from all over the world to turn that around. And, but the way that you weave his story, David Starr Jordan's, with your own personal um, quest, and I, I hope I'm reading it right, of purpose and meaning. I mean, these are so yeah. really connected for me with a kind of enduring, enduring wrestling with depressive tendencies at the same time as captivation by the natural world yeah. and and also a sort of fascination with people who seem never to really get down I know they in just don't yeah in the face of uh, and and everybody's lives at some point have terrible events right and you can't yeah. live very long without them but the way that you they bring these together did feel like a mystery. And so I'm kind of like reluctant. I don't know how much I wanna talk about specific details because I don't wanna give stuff away.
2: Yeah, no, and I appreciate, I mean, you can do whatever, but I do appreciate keeping some spoilers or because okay, my okay. hope was that it reads like, I was thinking, oh, could the genre almost be sci Thry, like a scientific thriller. Like I wanted it to read with so it makes me happy that it felt like a mystery because I I um but yeah I mean what's been interesting about this process is like so for so long I could just safely say oh I'm working on a book about a scientist you know and I don't have to go into the things you were just talking about like it's embarrassing to say oh this 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 deals with the meaning of life (laughs) like and now I'm doing these interviews and it's it's nakedly it's it's like it's embarrassing in a way but it is very much i think you know the sub on the outer level i just want it to be a good story and i think he has an incredible tale that is a great story um but yeah the the i guess the substrata or the you know the there's probably some soil term the next level under is are these really big questions just of like just how to find meaning and how to find how to find just the, the courage or the fuel to go on when you are so depressed and so discouraged and you look out at a world that you believe has nothing good in store for you if you don't happen to have faith. Or maybe if you do, but you've lost faith or whatever.
1: Well, what a perfect yeah. book for these times. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I'm so curious um, about your the process. You, you mentioned when you got the idea. So like, are we talking five years three years from what was your oh, um, gosh, length no. of time Well, so yeah I heard about the
2: guy um at this point almost 15 years ago that I just like heard the detail and then he started really burrowing in my soul and like I, I set out to write what I thought was an essay in the fall of 2012 so I guess yeah I mean so almost eight years soup to nuts like you know and I I, I worked on it in spurts like I would rework on it and then you know kind of had just started it and then I met Elise Spiegel and we started Invisibilia and then that was just like book sideline for many years but I think in a way these the fits and starts were helpful to it because I grew and changed as a person as a journalist I'd encounter new ideas I could weave in I like of changed even how i thought about the work of journalism um and i think i went into it very much wanting a parable and clear moral instruction and along the way i became really skeptical about that impulse in me aware that i had it um and realizing that the desire for story could be at odds with the desire for finding something approximating reality or truth and like I basically got obsessed I went in wanting moral clarity and in the process I got obsessed with complexity (laughs) and then wanted to report on complexity so but yeah soup to nuts it was like eight years oh
1: wow okay yeah (laughs) no I mean I just think it's so normal I think people have this like vision that you get an idea and three months later you have a finished book holding (laughs) in your hand oh
2: heck no and then like from the first draft of the book, I had like a true power year. Like I took, I left Invisibilia and took a book leave. And that was like a year of researching and writing. That was like, I think of a real year. Um, and that I turned in, it took a full year, turned in a draft. And then it was like another two years till that draft was even done. And then going into all the publishing phase. So this
0: slow
1: it took the time it needed to take i mean it did uh, yeah and
0: and by a lot of accounts that isn't slow and especially Mm -hmm. given again this hiatus of um really rich professional creative work in the midst with invisibilia but um i'm wondering if then over time did the shape of it change oh big time and part of the reason the
2: meaning questions are all in there the dark stuff the getting real about depression like for someone who hasn't read the book, these things come in dollops, like they're they're very intense but they're not that many words, so it's not like my memoir is smeared over everything. That's right. But it's like these like three or four real intense dollops. Um, and that 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 evolved. That came after the first draft where my editor was like this is interesting, but then like but why do you care so much about this guy? And why like why are you so obsessed with him? you know you would researched the heck out of him why and that's when I I remember I was actually I was at VCCA um the creative arts residency Virginia
1: Center for the Center, Center for
2: the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts um and I went for two and a half weeks and I just let myself go deep you know the living there you're like out on a farm you have this little monk-like room it was the first time I've ever done a residency and I just like let myself free write on why i actually cared under these epic like february sunset skies and i felt really removed from reality and removed from the ramifications of talking about it and i let myself really spiral the skies are a part of that memory because it was so psychedelic out there that i just like let myself go wherever and then we and then i showed all that to my editor and and then we ham- we like we, we shaped it way back, but that was when I kind of said, "Well, this is why I care." And he was like, Let- "Let's put this in the book in a way that you feel safe, and we can slowly shape it." But this is this is going to help.
0: It's a really powerful um, part of the book. I mean, it's a it's a great um, it, how do I put it? Well, it's sort of like a hook. I mean, I because I think I and I bet a lot of readers will connect with that, and it. And it leads through but like you said there there is not not tons of personal material in there as far as the volume goes it is this story with this david star jordan and but the quest um is just gives it such shape i can yes. see how you know maybe writing a biography of the scientist could be it would be fascinating in itself because he's a really interesting person yeah but To bring that kind of enduring big question into the arc of the book is just I think it's so powerful and yeah it had me reading right through with (laughs) great interest and your your writing style of course is also just so fantastic I love there were a few moments that just made me laugh out loud the way you described your dad's sartorial choices the way he chose to dress with a- academic oh my god the academic yeah. style i loved there were just so many moments like that i was just going to ask you i mean i feel like there's a trend
1: right now in nonfiction about bringing in the self so sort of this less of a um i'm now going to have the definitive biography on this guy and here's all the facts you know and that kind of stuff but also understanding that we all bring our personal dues. So it sounds like it's completely on, you know, on in the moment right now in terms of nonfiction. I mean, I I think probably your experience in radio, like, I imagine that that sort of reporting, but with your voice, with yes. yourself, it's still and a conversation. Would, it really fits. It does,
2: yeah. And so, like, for one, I love it as a reader. Like, I I love the self weave. Like, I like get those dollops. They, you know, and I feel guilty. There's something where I'm like, well. I'm not being a good journalist. I'm being too much of a millennial and talking about myself. But I'm like the oldest millennial, so what can you do? <laughs> um, but uh, but then, yeah, I think with radio, like I trained. You know, I learned how to do. I didn't study journalism at all. I learned how to do it at Radio Lab um, for five years. That's where I like cut my chops, cut my teeth, got my chops, um, chopped my chops, um, and and that one of the things Jad Abumrad, the creator of that show, like this is a great like he loved the sound of the mic noise the mic handling noises and whereas shows before him you'd always cut that stuff out i remember him once going on this kind of like tirade about how he's like even these little cues they show that a reporter is here they're clumsy they're unzipping a bag like these sounds can render a person in space and they add so much information like every reporter handles a mic differently or says hello differently and these little things they aren't just like, in his mind, you know, some people can, like, roll their eyes at Radio Lab all you want, but what he's doing with these little hi hellos and these diversions and he, recording the roll up to someone's house, it's like he's really economically setting scene and setting dynamic and, and allowing the real stuff that happens before you go into interview mode to be as much a part of it. and. And I, lo- I love that as a listener, and that's how I trained. Like you show up to an interview rolling, 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 and I think in the writing that came in too. And that was another thing. I had so many sound moments that they actually had to edit. But some of them still make it. But like like one of the chapters starts like here's where the jaunty sea shanties begin because I picture like the chapters the after the way the last chapter ended like a hard cut. Um, and they let me keep a few, but they were like, this is a book, not a radio piece. Like <laughs> I had, I had a line in the, in the first chapter that was like, and ev- so he just, yeah, he, it's like every so often he would begin to pluck, snap a flower, or no, snap, pluck a flower on his way. And they were like, you don't need the snap sound effect. The word,
0: the verb pluck. Okay, is plenty. We'll is supply, fine. we'll supply um, the audio. So they cut me down a little bit, which I think is good, but. But you still do have some moments. You narrate um, your son's finding a toy in the bushes, right? A buttercup, just a buttercup, yeah. Boing, boing. Oh, yeah. Right, right. (laughs) Right, the buttercup. I had not thought of it before with the audio um, training that you have or abilities. But, yeah, that was
2: cute. Yeah, I mean, I think – and it's probably, like, annoying to some people. I don't even – See, bless my editor, because he cut out probably, like, 70%. I think
0: it's great. It's great. You found a wonderful balance. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm wondering if you, there's one quote you, it's uh, toward the end, where you advise um, to stay wary of words. Does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So I wonder if, since we're talking about writing, and, you know, we all love words, right? Yeah. Um, if you are comfortable unpacking that or does that give away too Oh much? yeah, no,
2: no, I'm, I okay,
0: think, good. yeah, I think so one of the,
2: the real sort of realizations for me in reporting this and the thing that I got really excited about trying to share with other people as is hinted at in the title um, is that a lot of our intuitive categories of the natural world are really at odds with what's actually there. And that we seem to kind of come out with an intuitive perception of the order of how creatures are related and who's maybe higher in some way in a moral or cognitive hierarchy that we just inherently feel is right. Um, but the more closely scientists have actually studied how things are related and actually done, run tests about birds or fishes cognitive ability their ability to remember their ability to feel pain all these kinds of things that order gets totally scrambled and isn't there and one of there, there's all kinds of neat stuff um one I actually just learned about today is that falcons are not hawks and they're actually like although I, the word below and above doesn't work but they're like kind of like below woodpeckers like they it's just there's like all this weird stuff that just just our intuitive sense of what belongs together and one of the most astounding ones um is this idea that fish is not a legitimate category of creature that it's this kind of gerrymandered creature where there's things in that group that don't belong and there are things in there that are way more closely related to us than to one another and that fish in a way is just a, a bunk human measure that is not it's not accurate and i talk more explicitly about why that is and how we discovered that but the thing that really excites me is why that matters to people who are not scientists. And to me, it's this really profound metaphor, just for the idea that all kinds of our intuitive categories are wrong um, about, you know, how someone fares on an an IQ test and what that might mean about their ability to attend a school or have worth in society. You know, any kind of category under our feet, like. I use it as a reminder, fish don't eat this exist, as almost a mantra to question anything that we're soberly accepting about the world around us and as a kind of challenge to be open to revision. And you see even right now, like in COVID stuff, just these sober assessments and hierarchies about who deserves a ventilator. And like, maybe a disabled life doesn't deserve one. You know what I mean? Just, and in those places where that's asserted, like a definite thing to just peel back that category and that certainty and say, well, wait, so are you saying someone who's disabled has less of a, their life has less value or less, they're less deserving to live? And why, who are we to make that? And, you know, I think it's just, uh, it's a big call to arms or it's almost like a, I almost think of it as a stop sign or a yield sign in the shape of a fish to just remember to take, to proceed with caution about every category um that we believe in a word at it in a way is a category it's yeah. saying herb or poison you know when we look at plants you know friend or foe like this every single word is trying to declare something categorical about the earth the natural world humans ideas um and they're beautiful they are how we connect but i do think there is something about the minute you put a word to something you run the risk of of not looking at it and not having curiosity about like the stuff that exists under it, so just just like use caution when you believe in a word or an assertion. Well, it's, words are powerful.
1: I think as writers we would all agree. And yeah, um, but
2: they're so limited. They're they're. I feel like at best they're a proxy, right. and at worst they're a shackle or a,
1: a lie. Well, I remember, and I I, I believe I'm quoting this right as Annie Dillard. Um, Talking about the Inuit have so many words um, for snow, right? And that we just don't have that power. Like snow is just snow to us, and snow right. is it's such so a simple. small for them. It just that's that it, there's all these nuances, you know. Right. And um and I think that that's it is interesting to think about other language in that way. And and
2: but I, and I think about it as someone who loves words. I'm actually looking at a book right now, um, called. The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake, which is a novel by Amy Bender. Okay, yeah, I love her work. She's kind of a fabulous, she's like a reaction to minimalism where like the story is that someone drank their cup of coffee and squinted. She's like, a boyfriend is reverse evolving. Like it's not magical realism, it's fabulous. It's just like big and wild, almost sci-fi. Anyway, and in this um, plot of this is that a girl wakes up on her 10th birthday with the ability to taste the emotions in the food that people cooked and she tastes her mom always made her this lemon cake and then she like realizes how sad her mom is because it's sad and this conflict a lot of time we ask her mom how she's feeling and the mom's like i'm absolutely fine but she just t- tastes this like reeking sadness and i think that and there's a line in there where the little girl just says words words stupid words and I remember how underlining that and intuitively feeling this was years ago, but just this idea that like, that I feel like as a writer, I'm tromping around in these things that I both struggle with and that I know are imperfect and that I love, but I'm also not very eloquent on my own. Like I, I use the thesaurus a lot. I always feel stumped for the word I mean, and I words, words, stupid words is like, It's just a thing I think all the time as I'm doing this thing I love, but then I feel so limited. Like it's—I don't know if you guys feel that, but writing is this constant feeling of like I have this big beautiful idea, and I have these clunky things in a really imperfect brain, and trying to get the idea onto the page is like really hard and brutal. And I feel my limitation in every footstep, in every little finger step on the type
0: on the keyboard. Yes, and that a word by, once you start, you take that thing that's out in the ether that is, has its own energy and you're excited about and want to communicate, all we have for doing that are these words. But as soon as you start using them, this is how I feel sometimes, as soon as I start using them, I have limited what they, what it can be already. It's less than what. It is out there in the ether, and the more I try to write it, the narrower my possibilities for what I'm telling become, and I don't yeah. want them to be so narrow. Right, exactly, the- and it's and then, of course, but then if you don't write, there's
2: nothing, so... Yeah, it's, yeah. But I think about it all the time,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think, and i have even having a hard time finding the words to describe that thing, but I think it's a similar um frustration and also fascination like you still have to have to try right the trying is also crucial but i think multimedia sometimes i think that may be why i'm drawn to the mixture of text and it's whether it's text plus image or text plus sound like songs you can i feel like when you have other inputs of sensory influence, you get a little bit closer. Well, to, that's, that's to one the, of my favorite things
2: about radio is you get a break from words. Like you can let someone say something and then just play some some bird sound and a little music and inflate the thought, or you can, I don't know, that they, you get these little reprieves to just think and have other sounds, which are not language or not verbal or not, yeah, I mean, they're kind of language. but and then again with the book, that's why I was so happy my friend Kate could Kate Samworth could do the illustrations
0: oh, because man, they're great.
2: What she spun out, each chapter gets one big kind of classic fairy tale scratchboard illustration and they just what and her rule for collaboration was like you don't I, I remember I was like, Oh, will you do it? And um, I was like, maybe for the first chapter we can do this image of the guy facing the vortex and of chaos, like I told you about and she was like oh no the way this works is my job is to read and come up with the image and that's what makes it fun and joyful for me and um that's what i do and so you will not be giving me any of it <laughs> but i loved it i love that line like and then what she saw like what she could spin out i mean those things that's like such a true example of pictures are worth a thousand words there's so much other stuff going on in there and to just have another brain." make visual meaning of what she saw in each chapter just really deepen. It was such a pleasure for me to have that included. It's and a, did, yeah. You, I
1: was, was going to say too, it's such an amazing experience the first time someone reads your work and tells you what it's about. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And well, in, that, in, in a, a smart me... way, in a smart way, not someone who's like, it's about, uh, and you're like, no, it's not. But someone who actually tells you and you're like, wow, you explained much better than I
2: <laughs> I was, if you saw me scribbling, I like, I, Kristen said it's about now, but then I stopped because I was. But you were like, "How does um, how do you, you know like how do you keep hope or optimism in the face of catastrophe or something?" You said it in a way that I was like, "Oh, that's or suffering, yeah." And like that was that was such a I don't know just the word catastrophe as opposed to chaos, which is how I often say. It. I was like, "That's better. That's better."
1: <laughs> words,
2: words, words. Words, words, words. Stupid words.
1: <laughs> um, so it, it, maybe it's too soon to ask, but um, what are you working on right now? Are you working on a new book, or
2: not a new book? No, but um, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm definitely excited about kind of getting back into radio full time. I think like I've been really craving a team and and being more of a cog in a wheel than like a solitary climber. <laughs> in the in the ruins of my head um <laughs> so like a, and there's a lot I mean I I have a lot of kind of radio stories ideas I want to do I'm really I've been doing a lot of editing work in radio lately just helping other people shape their stories which has been so fun just to like get other content I love story structure that's one of my favorite parts of the process and and to like have someone else do all the reporting <laughs> and the hard part and then be like "Ooh, but if you started here the end would feel more surprising like that feels so fun so that's been great and and I'm totally eager to keep reporting um and I would love I mean I will say like I've been you know I have a one and a half year old now and like I've really been having fun writing stories for him and like I've got some children's books in me I don't know if they'll ever be published but I would love to collaborate with Kate again as the artist um and some essays like I I do feel like I have a book of essays kind of on the natural world, which in my head is, art, is either titled Lions and Tigers and Beers, uh, Meditations on Earth's Bounty, or uh, Twixt, which is like dispatches from the space in between, like between imagination, between fiction and reality, between sexual identity, like just like the betweenness feels like really yeah. the space I want to inhabit. So. I do feel like I have a book of essays and some children's books, but, but in general, like I'm feeling the hunger for a radio again. Oh,
1: That's wow. great. That is so awesome. So and we'll I, see.
2: We'll see what the economy... We'll see if there are any jobs around, but I, I've got oh. some leads out on, on how that'll work, and, and I think I should know more in a couple
1: of months. Well, as Christian and I were saying, um, it's been very gratifying to see how many people are drawn to art right now <laughs> yeah. um, for solace. I have to say books have been like extra sacred
2: to me lately. Like I'm just finding the quiet of the page and no digital, like that that is what I want, like five or 10 minutes in the morning before the day gets rolling. And then like usually, I mean, I'm such a horror. I'm like the worst, I love TV, but I just actually have been more drawn to books. Like they feel this like a, a true piece in a way, maybe because our days are so computery. Yeah. That getting a reprieve from it feels like just it's just the rabbit hole, it's like a quiet that I really am appreciating. Yeah, yeah, and Fiona album, Fiona Apple's new album, I'm appreciating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, we just so appreciate you taking the time. I know you're yeah. touring with this book and um, <laughs> and, and teaching, I know, and teaching moments. Yeah, I know, everything, yes. is, oh everything my God, is thank
2: you for doing this. Thank you for like having such fun, different questions and. Just keeping this flame alive too. I so appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> it's been,
1: been terrific. A pleasure. Yeah, and so too. great to see your smiling face. And um, <laughs> all right, it'll happen hope, in person. And we hope it'll be in person. And I, know, I I'm not, we're not going to recognize your baby at all when you guys come back. Oh my gosh, back, I know it's gonna, he's a, he's napping right now, but um, he's going to be a toddler. I mean, it's he's going to be massive. Telling. He is like so
2: cute. He's like a little Porky the pig, just chunk the monk. That is so cute.
1: Oh, can't I'll wait I'll shoot you
2: guys a picture or did I already I'll shoot you no send
1: home. us a picture please I yes yeah. <laughs> so just so delightful to talk with you and um and good luck with everything and thank um you. and as I said it sounds like a wonderful book for for right now and
0: thank you I, well, I'm glad I'm glad thank I'm glad. you Lulu it All is right. a pleasure
1: that was so great to talk to Lulu yeah oh
0: um, my gosh could go on and on yeah um, yeah definitely.
1: And, um, really exciting to see this project that she's worked on for so long, you know, finally be a finished book and, uh, it's getting great reviews and and as it deserves and, um, yeah, it feels
0: like a real gift. Um, it was for me anyway, I mean, just reading a story that helped me—one, of course—understand a little bit more about this time in history and this particular um, character, David Star Jordan, but also to think, um, think more about the world we live in and my place in it, and all of, all of that, and how we, yeah, how we interact with the natural world anyway, and just golly, and so to be able to talk with her, too, yeah, such fun.
1: Yes. Definitely, and so, uh, we'll try to keep revising and working on our books and check in next month. Have to see who we, who who we are inspired to chat with next month. Yeah, we always say TBA.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good to see you, Meredith. Good to see you next to you and sharing a cup of tea, but. We do so virtually and with all you listeners out there, we are wishing you well in this COVID-19 time and hoping you'll be kind to yourselves and find a moment to put some words to paper.
1: Till
2: next time.